I'm J.P. Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Hi, Tuesday. Well, I think it's time we found a little religion when it comes to this podcast. So we are taking a look at the 1992 film Sister Act. This movie was one of those movies that played a lot around that time for me. It was When it was on cable, I was watching it. I would record it on my VCR so I could watch it later on. It it was one of those movies that, like, in some way or another, was always on in my house. This this was a weird one because it was like, well, even even though it it had a little bit of swearing, so naughty, but it was mostly religious. So that kind of slipped by in my very religious household at the time. But also, it was sort of about music and choir. So this one, and then, of course, especially the sequel, which was about a school choir, got played a lot when the choir teacher was sick or bored or didn't have anything planned for that day or was out and you needed a substitute. Mm -hmm. So... This was, if you were a choir kid in the 90s, you saw these two, this and the sequel, so much in choir class. (laughs) Because if you had a substitute teacher and they played a movie, you remember that when substitute teachers would just be like, let's play a movie that sort of kind of relates to the, you know, so if you were in history class, they would play some sort of movie that theoretically had something to do with history but not really or you know in choir class you would get like this because <laughs> it's sort of about a choir um but so i i saw that a lot and of course it was it's about a religion kind of um so it's sort of churchy so uh it it was kind of better than most movies in my very religious household as a kid. So it got a lot of play in my house, too. Not only is it the sequel, there's also, like, a Broadway play version of this. Yeah, which uh, a couple of years ago, I mean, uh, pre-COVID, but, you know, so it's been a few years now. But um, the uh, local community theater in my town did. It, it's a big hit for community theaters because if you've got a lot of women, you can do it. It's really weird that Disney was never involved with the stage production, considering this is a, this is you know a, it's a touchstone movie, it's a Disney movie, and the fact that Disney was not involved with the stage production, like I just usually they're all over these things, like like with Mary Poppins and Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin, and all them, you know. Yeah, well, the the thing, the reason why this one really works as a stage production 
that is it's good for Broadway, you know, I'm not I'm not saying, but the thing is is that the production was not produced by Disney. The production was produced by Whoopi Goldberg. So it was actually her and, you know, a a company that she worked with that got it put together. So it wasn't Disney doing the big push for it. Kind of like um, there was a musical version of 9 to 5 and like that was put together by Dolly Parton and her team. So yeah, same so thing. This was, yeah, this was more uh, Whoopi's thing I'm led to understand. The reason why th- it works so well and why I think Disney wasn't that interested in it is that Disney productions on stage are known for their massive theatricality in the sense of their spectacle because that's what disney is known for large sets automatically moving sets to shift around and stuff like that i've seen a few of those yeah the the big puppets in uh lion king or the really impressive beast transformation at the end of beauty and the beast you know disney is known for the disney magic well there's none of that in sister act you know it's got interesting costumes choreography it's a feel-good show that will make the audience dance but it's not the grand technical spectacle you know Mm -hmm. that the disney brand is known for um so i think that's why disney probably wasn't interested in turning it into a broadway show even though it's a kind of no duh yeah you know, it's like, well, what should we turn into a a musical? Like, well, why not the thing about the singing nuns? Like, yeah, duh. Makes makes more sense than Mrs. Doubtfire the musical. Yeah, um, but I think Disney is is interested in stuff that pushes the technical aspect on stage and can be the wow factor, rather than. You know, well, this has, you know, costumes and a little bit of flash because there is, um, like a bit where they turn their habits into like sparkly sequin stuff and everything, you know, but it's not like, oh, wow, I'm going to always remember the way they pulled off that bit. Mm. So there's, there's none of, of those big, set pieces and that's why community theaters love it because it's like well if you can get a bunch of you know things that vaguely look like nun habits and put them on a group of women you can produce this show i mean it's a it's very easy to do on a strip down stage very easy to do on a budget yeah um so it's it's a rather easy uh, production to do as long as you just have a group of women who can sing yeah and at the time this movie was coming out Whoopi Goldberg really wasn't known for her singing I think that's what shocked everybody the most was it was like it's going to be a, about a lounge singer who disguises themselves as a nun and it's going to star, star Whoopi Goldberg and I think the first thing out of everybody's mouth was can Whoopi Goldberg sing? She was not the first choice for this movie. It was Bette Midler was the first choice, but she turned it down. And watching this movie at the time, 
I had thought, like, why not Fed Midler? You know, this is in her wheelhouse. And it will be years later that I found out that she was offered the role and she turned it down because she didn't think that she would be believable as a nun. Well, yeah, because her her stage persona, if you've ever seen it, is extremely bawdy. You know, I mean, we talked about that when we when we talked about Hocus Pocus is that, you know, she's got that Mae West kind of. I mean, Whoopi Goldberg was pretty raunchy, too. Have you seen her stand up back back in the day? Well, yeah, but the thing is, is that. Whoopi Goldberg, by this point, had done enough other things where she had pulled it back. Family films, mostly. Well, not even family films, but she had been a little bit more respected as an actress. Mm-hmm. Um, by this point in 92, she had already done Color Purple. She had already done, you know, she'd already been on uh, Next Generation for a while playing Guinan. So it wasn't just that, like, oh, we can't believe her as a nun. It's like we believe her as an actress. Which, not to discount Bette Midler, because she had done that. I think Bette Midler was discounting herself. Because the point of the movie is, it's a lounge singer who shouldn't be believable as a nun having to go through that transformation and learning a thing yeah and 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 you know in 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 watching this movie again and and coming up with with little ideas for you know discussion i thought well if it wasn't for if it wasn't Whoopi goldberg in this movie who do you get to put in this movie that can act and that can sing and I was reminded of another movie that came out the same year, A League of Our Own. What if Madonna was in this movie? Because I, I remember that she was part of the, one of the funniest parts of A League of Our Own the same year. Uh, this movie would not have been any good. Seriously, <laughs> go watch uh, Todd in the Shadows retrospective Cinema Donna. Mm. Uh, <laughs> this, I, I'm sorry, uh, that, that does not discount madonna as a performer and uh, an icon in her own right as what she has done to the culture but um as an actress not really she works in a league of their own because she is minimal in a league of their own interestingly one of the one of the actors in this movie would go on to be in a league of their own tv show Playing Madonna's role. Another another idea that I had thought of. The Bodyguard came out around the same time. Would Whitney Houston have made, had worked in this role? Possibly. Whitney Houston was a, a little better of an actress than Madonna ever was. Um, but I don't know if she could have carried off the comedy aspect of this. This is mostly a comedic film. Mm-hmm. And... I'm I'm not sure if it would have been uh, the singing is secondary. Let's be honest. Mm. This is mostly a comedic role that then needs you to be able to sing at certain points. And Whoopi pulled it off. Her singing, I mean, it's not the greatest singing. It's passable. (laughs) 
it's not terrible. And but, and know. I think I think that's exactly what this role needs because the the idea is that Dolores is a mid-level lounge singer. She's not the worst you've ever heard, but she's a workaday lounge singer. She's not a headliner in the sense of she's not selling out the main venues, but she's making her living as a lounge singer. She knows what she's doing. She's the leader of her small girl group. She's the one that puts together the arrangements. She's the one that puts together the choreography. But she's not the big time. She's somewhere in the middle. And honestly, that's exactly what you can buy Whoopi Goldberg in that that thing with the voice she has. Because that's not... Whoopi Goldberg is not known for her voice. She's got a decent voice. Yeah. She can carry a tune. She did a little bit of singing in The Lion King, you know? Yeah. Um, but she's not primarily known as a vocalist. I think it would have been a little bit weirder with Bette Midler in the role because Bette Midler's a really good singer. And you would have kind of been wondering, like, why is this woman still like a workaday lounge singer, you know, wasting her life on this two bit mobster, you know? Yeah. Like, why doesn't she go audition for somebody better? Why doesn't she like, break? you know, it would have been a slightly different story. But honestly, you kind of feel like. No, that's that's probably with the way that she sounds and stuff. She's good, but she's probably not the great voice of her generation. She probably did audition for a a bunch of people. That's probably the best she can do. She's making do, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think in a way... The casting of Whoopi Goldberg is probably what makes this film really the the gem that it is. Mm. Because I think if you to cast somebody maybe who was primarily known as a singer, it would have been a slightly different story. You would have been focused more on why is this woman with this amazing voice stuck where she is like what's wrong with her that she never broke the big time instead you're like oh this is a woman who just ended up in a bad situation doing the best she can and by the end of the movie she's in a good you know she's in a better spot she's found a better way to use what talent she has which I think works a lot better. And plus, the comedy of the movie works better because Whoopi Goldberg is amazingly good at comedy. Uh, the the other interesting thing about this film, though, is that no less than 
two different groups of people sued Disney claiming that this was their idea and Disney stole it. Um, Disney ended up uh, prevailing on both of those, but um, a actress and her partner sued claiming that the film was plagiarized from their book that they had written called A Nun in the Closet or or at least a book that they owned. I don't know if they wrote it, but they had developed a screenplay from a book that they bought, I think. I don't think they wrote the book. But anyway, Disney offered them a, a million dollars, I think it was, to drop the case, and they said, no, we want to go to court, and in court, uh, Disney won, and they said, well, of course we were going to lose, it's Disney. Um, I, I don't know if the merits of the case, because I don't know anything more about the case, um, but as recently as 2011, a nun sued Disney claiming that Disney had taken the idea from her autobiography um, hmm. called The Harlem Street Nun. And she claimed that she had um, written the autobiography back in the 80s and that like some screenwriter or studio executive or something came to her and said, hey, this would make a good movie. And she had gone uh, to court and uh, it was um, dismissed uh, by the court. Um, and they did not uh, find that she had any uh, reason to sue Disney, apparently. So... Um, Disney came out on top in in both cases, but I I find it interesting that uh, this seemingly bizarre idea has been claimed by multiple people, <laughs> claiming that Disney was not the the one that thought of it. That this was also a script that went through a lot of different hands. Including uh, the legendary Carrie Fisher. We talked before about how Carrie Fisher was a script doctor. Um, that was one of her primary things. That a, a lot of her her money came from being a script doctor instead of being an actress. And that was what she did for most of her life. This was one of the scripts that she worked on during the course of her career she was she was not the only one by far apparently it went through a lot of script doctors before the final um copy so i i don't know you know there is no way of knowing of course because um you can never tell you know when it goes through most of the times script doctors aren't even credited um but uh, the original screenwriter uh, is credited under a pseudonym 
in the final cut because apparently the original script he gave them looked nothing like the final film. And by the time it got made, he was like, please take my name off this movie. <laughs> I know. I mean, I understand that, you know, oh, it's my script. My, it doesn't look like my script anymore. Don't credit me. But maybe it's for the best that the kit got changed. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't know how it it was originally written. It might have been an okay script, but just not what they wanted to make. It's possible that the whole nightclub singer thing might not even have been in the original script. Yeah, I mean, we don't we don't know. But the there's also a different thing of you know, there's the famous story of. Yet another uh, weirdly owned by Disney movie, um, Pretty Woman. You know, when when Julia Roberts signed up to do that movie, it was a movie called 3000, and it was a deep, depressing, tragic movie about a drug-addicted hooker that, like, ends up on a tragic, uh, you know, downward spiral weekend. (laughs) with you know one particular client and by the time they finished making the movie it became pretty woman you know which is a light-hearted fairy tale about a well-meaning prostitute with a heart of gold that becomes basically a disney princess like (laughs) So, you know, was the original script bad? I don't know. It it just was a different movie. Yeah. You know, it it might have been a very good film that was just a different tone. Not the tone that Disney wanted. Yeah, it just it's not a romantic comedy. It's a deep depressing tragedy, you know. Um so who knows? I mean, the original sister act might have been like a gritty crime drama. And then somebody was like, what if we made this a lighthearted comedic musical? I don't know. It could have been a really good script for just a different style of movie. The interesting thing about it, though, is that there there is kind of another weird thing of the church that they used for the exteriors and stuff is supposed to be in this gritty rundown neighborhood in San Francisco. It's actually in like a really bougie part of San Francisco. (laughs) And so they had to like redo all of the surrounding neighborhood that would end up on camera and put up these like fake storefronts and stuff that they could like, graffiti on and everything and make it look like they were all like biker bars and adult Porn- bookstores yeah. and stuff. You That's know? Like, okay, so Disney has to turn this small mom and pop shop into a porn store. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they really did. They had to do because it was apparently like a really kind of upper class neighborhood and they had to put up like, you know, chain link fences everywhere and all these, you know, uh, 
places that look like they had broken out windows and stuff. And it really is not like that. Apparently it's like a really nice neighborhood. Um, and the funny so, part that, that, you know, they used the Catholic church and it kind of becomes a, a, a punchline later in the movie. Who would kidnap a nun? Were they Catholics? Yeah. <laughs> and it turns out that, yeah, that they were, <laughs> um, it is kind of fascinating uh the the way that they did that that it's supposed to be this like really run run down building in a run down neighborhood and it's apparently one of the nicer spots in the area so um yeah movie uh, magic hey well let's talk about who's in this movie we already talked about our star Whoopi goldberg if you don't know who she is i don't know what to tell you she's a legend yeah, speaking of people, if you don't know who they are, I don't know what to tell you. We we got our other kind of leading star here in Maggie Smith. I mean, our generation knows her for a couple of things. You're, I mean, I knew her mostly as Grandma Wendy and Hook. I think that's kind of where she settled in my brain. Uh, the younger generation might know her as Professor McGonagall from Harry Potter. Yeah. Um, and, and of course now she's the, uh, wonderful Dowager Countess in Downton Abbey, if you're into that sort of thing. Uh, of course, you know, we talk about my love of Ray Harryhausen, so, you know, she's in Clash of the Titans too. So I, I always knew her from, from that as well. And. If you grew if you grew up with the Merchant Ivory films, you know you knew her from Room with a View and Gosford Park and all that kind of stuff. If you had the weird childhood I did, where you just grew up on weird crap like the Merchant Ivory films. <laughs> yeah, another person we have talked about in the past, Kathy Najimy, as uh, Sister Mary Patrick. You know, again, she at this point in the '90s, she was kind of everywhere here, and then. Um, Hocus Pocus, and then she kind of blew up and became kind of what everywhere for the for the first half of the nineties. Yeah, and we've talked about uh, Mary Wicks before, who's in here as well. Uh, yeah, she was Hunchback uh, Laura Down. She was Laverne. Yeah, we've talked about Bill Nunn before because he was in uh, the Raimi Spider-Man films as Robbie Robertson. Some people we we haven't talked to, about before, probably kind of the the weird little breakout star in this. We've got Wendy McKenna playing Sister Mary Robert, the the young uh, little acolyte nun that has the amazing singing voice. It's not even but, her voice. <laughs> yeah, it's not even her voice. This this is kind of her biggest role. She was also in Air Bud uh, back in the nineties. So if that was your your jam. Speaking of her singing voice, her singing voice is uh, worked a lot with Disney, mostly as a singing voice. Uh, Andrea Robinson. Yeah. She did the voice for Queen Athena, who is Ariel's mother in Little Mermaid, Ariel's Beginning. And then she also did various kind of background singing voices for Beauty and the Beast, Enchanted Christmas, and she's in the Tigger movie, and um, she appears in some of the Disney sing-along songs videos, things like that. So she's got a little bit of a, a history with with Disney. 
um, filling in there. One of our, uh, if you watch Star Trek, um, you may have seen her in one episode of Deep Space Nine, the episode uh, Bada Bing Bada Bang, one of the Vic Fontaine episodes. She plays a uh, blonde holodeck character that Vic hits on for a little bit in one of the holodeck programs. Uh, weirdly enough, she does not sing in that, <laughs> which is kind of the thing she's known for. But uh, she also does a lot of just random uh, television uh, bit parts. People, people you may know that show up in here as well. Of course, um, our main bad guy here is played by Harvey Keitel. You know Harvey Keitel. He shows up in a lot of Scorsese movies. Um, so playing a gangster, huh? Yeah, he he just plays a gangster and everything. So, you know, you've seen him in like Taxi Driver and Thelma and Louise and he shows up in like the Tarantino movies. So he shows up in Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Dustal Dawn, things like that. So, yeah, speaking of people, you know, if you watch genre television, um, if you're a Supernatural fan, Jim Beaver is in this. <laughs> so there you go. Um, or if you're a Deadwood fan, I don't want to discount the Deadwood fans. He he shows up in this as well. And this is weirdly our second movie in a row where Max Grodenchik shows up. As a mob underling. As, as a mob patsy, yeah, who gets killed off. Pretty early Be- in the movie. <laughs> yeah, because uh, Max Grodenchik is in here as the guy... Vince kills to set off all of the action of the movie. He's he's our poor little murder victim that uh, Dolores sees killed, and that's why she has to go into hiding. Same role he played in The Rocketeer. <laughs> yeah, p- pretty much. Uh, he was he was the guy that that stole the rocket and the Rocketeer in in last week's episode, and uh, now he's the poor little limo driver that saw too much and snitched and then now he's gotta pay for that i guess yeah so yeah speaking of which let's let's just uh get into it so we have our our main character delores van cartier uh always uh we, we we do get that little bit at the beginning of her going to catholic school uh and mouthing since- off to the nuns yeah <laughs> The, uh, the disciples are John, Paul, George, and Ringo. And apparently Elvis. <laughs> and apparently Elvis. I'm trying to figure out who the rest of the 12 rock and roll uh, apostles will be, but that's a different <laughs> yeah. podcast for a different day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but yes, he always has this 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 love of rock and roll and R&B. And you know what you know. Pe- you know what people like you are going to turn into. And we see her as a lounge singer. Not a very successful one because, like, she's giving her, she's pouring her heart out singing these classic R and B Motown tunes, and nobody cares because they're gambling. But the the point is, is that uh, Dolores is sleeping with with uh, Vince, the mob boss. Who is married? Uh, typical married man rhetoric of "I'm going to leave my wife for you" and then bail at the last second. 
because I, I talked to the priest, and if I get a divorce, I'm going to go to hell, and I can't go to hell, and, you know, kind of... Um, yeah, that's what's going to send him to hell, the not leaving his wife. Not the, you know, selling mommy. drugs and murdering people and so, running I mean, the casino. And <laughs> so, so from yeah. the beginning, the, this whole line is BS. He just He's just stringing her along because... You know, he wants to... He wants Because to that's what cheaters do. <laughs> yeah. After uh, Vince confirms that he's not going to leave his wife for her, she quits. She's not going to be part of the, of the group anymore. She's not going to do this job anymore. She is going to mouth off to Vince once and for all, professionally quit, get out of, get out of Reno, because we start this movie in Reno, Nevada. Not even Vegas, Reno. No yeah. offense to Reno, but... Yeah. So Well, we do get the we do get the the very important note that in her little trio cuz she's got two backup singers when she says she's quitting the other two girls say, "Hey, what'll become of us?" and they're like, "Well, she's like, you know, you'll get another lead singer, it'll be fine." And they're like, "Yeah, but you're the one that arranges our songs you're the one that does our choreography you're the one that teaches us everything which is at least an important bit of foreshadowing for later yeah foreshadowing for what happens when she gets to the the choir yeah um you can tell that she has more talent than just singing you know she she actually is the brains of the operation you could say that her 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 musical arrangement skills and her choreography skills surpass her singing skills yeah it it really is where her talent probably is and the other thing that's probably holding her back is that the other two girls are not very good they're not really following in in that Opening in that scene opening there. scene, in that opening number, not really following her choreography. They're they're, like all... they're always a little offbeat. They're always a little distracted. They're, you know, so we get the idea that maybe there's there's something there that's holding her back a little more than maybe just her voice. Um, she needs the right group to be a part of. Yeah. So anyway, Dolores is going to mouth off to her now ex-boyfriend that she's done. She's getting out of here. And yeah, and I, lo- I love the final straw is that he gives her his wife's mink as a gift. Yeah. Yo- that I mean- she she's fallen for it you know it's like well he did give me a really nice fur coat and then he she sees that it's his wife's name embroidered in it and she realizes he's just taken a coat out of his wife's closet and re-gifted it to her what a sleazeball yeah so yeah that's the final straw she's gonna go up right to his office and quit and then she walks in right as we get Ernie, who is Vinny's limo, uh, Vince's limo driver. And apparently he has been snitching to the cops. You know what snitches get in the mob. And she 
I, the whole that whole scene where we see the, the the questioning of Ernie as as Dolores is running through is walking through the casino, going through what what she's going to say to to, to Vinny. And then she opens the door and then pow, sees Ernie's head get get blown off. Well, she just witnessed a mob murder, so um she's getting out of there. And she goes straight to the cops. It's said later in the movie, but I'll bring it up now that there is a mole in the police force that all of their witnesses of uh Vince's antics, all of their witnesses, every person that has agreed to step up and testify against Vince has mysteriously gone missing. And they feel that there is a mole in the police force that is letting Vince know about all of this. So they're trying to put Dolores in witness protection so the same doesn't happen to her. Uh, as... as um, as Lieutenant Eddie here says, I'll put you the last place to ever look for you, which is a small nunnery in San Francisco. That's about an eight, ten hour drive from Reno. Two hour flight. With uh, with the amount of t travel that these characters do between the two cities, you think it'd be a much shorter distance. But what can you do? It's a movie. Well, they travel at the speed of plot. Yeah. The so, um the thing is is that they say that they've been gathering evidence but that the evidence that they have isn't enough to really go to trial without an actual human witness. And, and that's that's been what's been holding them up is that all their witnesses keep dying and they need, you know, somebody to live long enough to actually testify. The the thing is, though, is that I like that they say, well, we can get a trial in a couple of months. And she says, a couple of months? Why not a couple of years? And, so, and I'm thinking, girl, a couple of months is fast. Have you ever seen <laughs> the American legal system? Shut up. This is, you're, you're getting the speedy one. And it's probably because they've already been working on this case. For how many years, you know? Yeah. It's like, They've probably been working on this case longer than Dolores has been with Vinny. Yeah, probably. Um, it's like two, two months is really fast, okay? So they're promising her, you know, you, you stay here for two months and then you can go go testify and it'll be fine. Um, go back to your old life. Yeah. But... She thinks she'll just stay in her in her room, not talk to anybody, um, and it'll be okay. But the only problem is, is that the Reverend Mother, good old Maggie Smith, she's like, no, you you really need to be disguised as a nun, or people are going to start asking questions. I can, uh, you know, me me and the priest are the only ones that can know where you came from. And there's a great line here, cause uh, the the priest, at, at, cause after Reverend Mother says, "No, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. She cannot be saved. We're not doing this." And uh, the uh, the priest says, 
you took a vow of hospitality to 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 take in all who all in need, and then Maggie Smith looks at her looks at the priest and says, "I lied." Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's. But the the thing the other plot point is that the police department has promised to make a generous donation to this failing convent if they will hide Dolores. Because when we first see, and for most of this movie, this little church is in rough shape. I mean, it's, it's a rather large church, you know, as far as the building and everything, but their roof is falling apart. You know, there's graffiti all over the church. It's in a rough neighborhood. It's there. Nobody is attending services, despite the size of the actual the the actual building there's you know four or five people coming to mass other than the nuns um there are more nuns in the pews than patrons here yeah really, you yeah. know that they, they really do need the the money to to be able to um keep the lights to, on really to keep the lights on and you can tell that they're they're having issues because you know Dolores talks about how bad the food is and stuff, and you can tell that the nuns are basically just eating beans or, you know, whatever's cheapest. Reverend Mother is very set in the old ways. She makes a, 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 a several, several complaints throughout the movie of uh, Dolores's progressive ways ruining the church, and she's very, very old school by the book. Well, so, there is there is even that one nun that talks about how. No, I I preferred my old convent. We were barefoot and we lived in the woods. We didn't even have electricity. They, this is like a Hilton compared to that. You know, it's like. <laughs> so I I loved the the idea of because there's there's always that. Yeah. Um, and it's it's sort of like that in in every church you always get get people who are like oh this church is too no matter how conservative your church is there's always that one person that's like oh i remember my old church we wouldn't have stood up for this in my old church it's like that was really they kept the old ways there it's like so yeah dolores will be in disguise she's given the name sister mary clarence and she will be a sister Mary Clarence until a point until she leaves to keep up the facade. Uh, as Kiki said, the only people who knows of Dolores's true identity are the priest and Reverend Mother. The interesting thing to me is I had forgotten what a slow burn this movie is. This movie is just over an hour and a half long, and it feels like three before we actually get to to what everyone knows this movie for. I paused the movie right at the time when they got done with their first big choral number that everybody remembers, the one that Dolores leads for the first time. Mm-hmm. And it was... 55 minutes into the movie when they get done with that first choral number. And so if you 
back it up roughly, you know, it probably is about 45-ish minutes into the movie. It's a 100-minute movie, all right? It is about 45 minutes before Reverend Mother has the idea to say, you are going to join the choir. The choir doesn't even show up until half an hour into this movie. Yeah, so, the, yeah. The, first, the first part where Dolores is sitting there in, in mass and hears the choir being kind of awful in that first mass that she attends. Yeah, that's probably about a half an hour in. And then we get another kind of 15-minute montage of her not really fitting in with the life there. And she has that bit where she goes into the biker bar across and just tries to get a Coke. Yeah, not even a beer. because Yeah, you know, not even a beer. I don't know why she doesn't just feel like, I am stuck over there with the nuns. Give me a whiskey. Like, I don't know why that doesn't happen. Can you imagine going into a bar? Here comes a nun walking in and says, "Just give me a whiskey. Give me the the hardest the hardest stuff you got." Can you Honest, imagine? <laughs> honestly, yeah, yeah, I can imagine that, and I would have given it to her. I'd have been like, "You've probably had a hard day, sister. Here you go." Um, but give my regards uh, to God. <laughs> yeah, but the um, the the thing is, is that. You know, it's it's a it's a cute little scene of, you know, the Kathy and Jimmy coming in and singing gravy or whatever. Um it's it's the first moment that we see that if nothing else, the other nuns in it in the church have a similar musical taste that Dolores does. And they're adventurous. They want to go out among they hear her little kind of bs story about oh yeah i was part of a convent in reno and we went out and ministered to the winos and the hookers and they see her leaving and they were like oh we saw you going into a biker bar so we figured you were going to minister to the winos and the hookers so we decided to join you and do that that sounded like a good thing you were doing so it seems like they don't want to be hidden inside the convent like the Reverend Mother wants them to be. They want to be out among the people, which we see later on in the movie. So it's our first gonna, taste of that. I was going to bring this up later, but there's been uh, something that's been a little bit more common. Um, not to get a little peachy and soapboxy, but it's been known for a few years now that there are people who are leaving the church. And a lot of it comes down to the church not every church, I'm going to be honest, not every church, but there are churches out there that have, that are not as active within the community as maybe they should be. And Dolores in this movie kind of calls Reverend Mother out on that. You know, all of your, all of your nuns are locked in this, locked behind these walls. And, you know, you want the people to come in, you want these souls to be saved, but you're not doing anything to reach out and get them into the church. When she starts teaching the, uh, the choir and having them sing and and starts to 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 jazz up the hymns, that is what brings the people into the church. More, you know, for for lack of a better term, more souls are being saved because she is jazzing up the hymns. The 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 traditional sound of the hymns are are 
not doing it for this neighborhood, but her reinterpretations of those hymns are. And, the, um, oh. and she starts the community outreach programs within the church. She starts a soup kitchen. She takes part of the 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 entrance of the church and makes it a kids play area. You know, she starts being more active within the community and it starts getting more people into the church. So she's not exactly wrong. It's just, you know, it happened to attract the media. <laughs> yeah. The the thing is there's ooh. Okay, so there's a couple of things here. Um one, it does sound like there's a bit of story that we're missing. The Reverend Mother says that these habits no longer protect them, but the walls do. So it sounds like we are missing a bit of context of she may have had some of her charges physically attacked at some point. That may be violence in the neighborhood and somebody may have attacked a nun. Like it used to be like, oh, nobody would ever attack a nun because they're wearing the habit and that just used to be a thing you don't do and then one day somebody attacked a nun and she got scared and was like nope we just don't go out there anymore because you're not protected by that code of honor okay that's what it sounds like to me when she says that like it used to be a thing that nobody would touch a nun and now that's not a thing anymore um as to the other thing you're you're right um, and that is a constant thing in churches of going going out among the people and helping and the the charity works um being and that is always a good conversation to have in faith communities. The other thing you're talking about with the music is you want to start a fight in a church faster than almost anything else. Start a start a conversation about modern versus traditional praise music. And that that will turn into a knockdown drag out fight faster than almost anything. <laughs> I'm wondering I'm wondering if this if this movie really kickstarted the Christian rock movement. Uh no, it did not. That was already a thing. That was already a thing. Oh, okay. Uh, that that was already a thing. Um, what's the, what's the the Hank Hill line? You're you're not making Jesus cooler. You're just making rock and roll worse. Um, <laughs> uh, that um, it is a constant thing of where do we, you know, how do how how do we bring modern musical styles in? Where do, where do we draw the line on that? How do we appeal to the youths? You know, the, the, all the memes about the, the youth pastors and the, you know, the youth ministers and the, and that's, that's like every religion has that, you know, you know, the, the cool youth person trying to, to bring the youth in and stuff. I mean, it's, it's not, but th this is such a, Watching this movie is such a 90s version of that. Yeah. Um, there is like such a kind of intersectional box of worms that you just kind of pulled out there. Um, 
that could take us down such a rabbit hole because I've I've been in all of those, you know, conversations in various forms. The thing that that she does and she gets into him without n- knowing that that's what she's doing. Dolores just kind of instinctively kind of accidentally does it from an outsider perspective because we see that she hasn't really been religious since maybe school, but we don't know if she was ever even religious as a child. She just, we know she went to Catholic school. The, the thing that she does is when she gets given the task of the choir, which she kind of doesn't even want. She gets told to go sing, and then immediately the choir director uh, is told, like, oh, I see what's going on here. You've been sent in here to replace me. Well, fine, then. Replace me. Which is not what Dolores wants. She just wants to blend in the background and wait out the two months and then leave. But she gets shoved into the lead anyway and they discover like oh you know she's very good at this that actually is where her talent is and very quickly she discovers uh mary robert the the young little uh nun there has a really good singing voice she's just always been really shy and brings that out in her and gives her a little more confidence and everything. And we get that, that big scene finally, you know, an hour into the movie. We get to the big thing an hour into the movie where we finally hear the, the choir has actually, they can carry a tune, they can sing the hymn and, and it's, it's, it's not sounding like garbage. It's they, they actually sounding really, really good. And then we get the the the, the jazzing of, of of the hymn. When I first saw this movie, it is like it's the equivalent of putting gospel singers in a traditional Christian church. I mean, if you've ever seen or been to a, a gospel church, that's kind of the same vibe, and it's you know that's what's getting the people in. At least, maybe it's me, but that was the vibe that I got the first time I saw that scene in 92, 93, whenever. It's the thing of, you know, you hear, you see the the thing of some of the teens that are wandering around on the street outside. It's like, oh, let's go see what's happening inside the church. We hear, you know, they're rocking inside the church. Let's go see. And... People start getting in. And of course, we get all the amazing Maggie Smith reaction shots. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, as they, as, you know, she's she's doing her, oh, my goodness, what is what is going on here? This cannot be allowed, you know. But, and of course, that's the, that's the thing we get immediately after, you know. It's um, the new school, old school crash. Yeah. And she's she's saying like, nope, you've got to leave. I'm I'm going to call the detective and tell him that to find somewhere else for you. And then of course the the priest comes in and 
and says like, oh, that was the greatest mass we've had in years. And look at all the new people that have come in. And Reverend Mother, you are a genius, you know, playing up to her ego. Dolores says, hey, we, we, we need to go out. And, you know, she also has the idea that we're going to open the gates and go out amongst the people again. We get that montage of them cleaning up the church, cleaning up the neighborhood, getting popular with with, with their choir. And the collection plates passed around enough that they can actually afford to repair their, their, their broken down church. But the popularity of the choir has attracted the media. Dolores is now on television. Uh-oh. She is supposed to be lying low. She's supposed to be in witness protection. Yeah. And now Fortunately, she's on the only one that sees her is the detective. Yeah. Who catches her for just a second before she, you know, covers her face with a baby and <laughs> runs away from the camera. Um, and she says that, uh, you know, she's going to to keep a low profile, but that she's actually enjoying it there. She doesn't want to leave. She's kind of found something she's good at. And she's she helping found her calling. Yeah, she's she's helping this this church and this neighborhood. And he says, Well, just don't end up on TV. You know. The thing is though, is that she will be leaving soon though, because the trial is coming up very quickly. So she's only going to be there another week or so, I think they say. Um, and uh, it's 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 announced that the Pope will be visiting the United States that next week, and that due to the popularity of the choir, the Pope will be visiting their church and will be attending one of the performances of the choir. So now all of this is coming together. He's only going to be there uh, one more week because the trial's coming up, but that week also happens to be when the Pope is visiting. What do? <laughs> yeah. There is another clash between Dolores and the Reverend Mother because the choir holds a vote to decide if they want to go with Reverend Mother's plan of a very traditional... Uh, program for the Pope or Dolores's, you know, Vegas style uh, modern program and the choir goes with Dolores and so Reverend Mother goes nope, they don't follow me anymore so I'm going to resign which is a you know, kind of a crap move there Reverend Mother, you know you take your ball and go home kind of move yeah, I, mean, I don't really respect it. It's it's very she's very much dug into the old ways, and if the other nuns aren't going to go by the old ways, well, she's going to go somewhere where they are in the old ways. The main thing is that you know where we're getting up to the trial, and Vince is getting more and more desperate, so he puts the the pressure on his his leak inside the the police department that he's got to find Dolores because without Dolores, they don't have a case against him. And we, we kind of skipped over it, but earlier in the movie, he puts out a hit on her. 
Oh yeah, she's she's got a big uh big price on her head uh that Vince put there. Um But uh, as you said, we get back to the to the police station in Reno. We find that uh, we find of uh Vince's informant, Vince's mole in the in the police department finds um the pay stub. The pay stub, yeah, the yeah. donation for the convent and he figures there's only one reason why the department would be given that much cash to a random convent in San Francisco. That's got to be where they're hiding her. So he, he tips Vince off. But, uh, but they do, uh, pretty much as soon as this happens, the, the detective we've been following figures it out and Cole Cox, the, uh, the mole and he gets arrested. Yeah. But not in time uh, to save Dolores because Vince sends his goons, hired goons, <laughs> to uh, to go kidnap her. And poor Sister Mary Robert is in the wrong place at the wrong time and she gets kidnapped too. Yeah, but she ends up escaping and warns the detective that they're taken... Dolores back to Reno. Mary Robert goes inside and and tells the rest of the the nuns like you know some some guys kid kidnapped uh, Sister Mary Clarence. S- Sister Mary Clarence, why would they do that? And we get the joke about were they Catholic uh, that you talked about earlier. Finally, the Reverend Mother comes clean and explains who Dolores is and why she's been there the whole time. And the nuns decide, we have to go to Reno. We have to save our sister. And it leads to possibly my favorite scene. Using the guilt of faith to get a pilot to get him to, to fly them to Reno. <laughs> yeah, when he when he says, you know, how much it's going to be. And they say they don't have that kind of money. And he's like, well, you know, hope you can drive there, whatever. And then they just start praying, guilt praying around him. <laughs> Dear God, please do not send this man to hell just because he refused to help us. Do not give him arthritis or strike him bald or you know, all these <laughs> other things. And eventually he's like, all right, all right, all right, just get in the helicopter. It's so, yeah, Now all of our principal characters are coming together in Reno. Uh, Vin- Vinny sends his goons to kill Dolores. But they can't do it because she's still dressed as a nun. And more than that, she's kind of acting different. She's not treating them the same way. She's acting like a nun, too. And they start saying, like, hey, how do you know she didn't become a nun while she was there? We can't we can't kill a nun. You know, that that's not right. Kind of playing into what you were saying earlier. That, you know, maybe one of the nuns did get attacked in, in, in San Francisco, but these two mobsters can't bring it to themselves to attack an actual nun. Yeah, even going so far at one point to tell Dolores to take off the, the habit, because then they won't see her as a nun anymore. They'll just see her as Dolores, and then they'll be able to kill her, at which point they untie her so she can do that, and she just starts praying for them in in much the same way the the nuns kind of used that on the helicopter pilot 
And then elbows them in the nuts. <laughs> yeah, and runs away. Um, just in time for all of the other nuns to, to make it to the casino and start running around the casino floor. And then there's all these women dressed as nuns, and they can't quite tell them apart because they just see women in nuns' habits. And Yeah, the, the goons are grabbing random nuns trying to thinking that it, one of them is Dolores. Yeah. I just love the, the gag that one of the nuns is actually on the slot machine. Yeah. <laughs> that, um, that is, like, again, we talked about a nun in a bar. Imagine a nun in a casino. Yeah. The, uh, the thing is, though, is that we do eventually get our confrontation in a back room where, you know, Vince kind of pulls a gun on all of them and says he's going to shoot them. So Dolores gives herself up and says, hey, it's me you want. Just let all the rest of them go. And he tells his goons to shoot her again. But they're like, hey, we can't shoot a nun. And he's like, stop saying she's a nun. She's not a nun. And Reverend Mother stands up for Dolores. And she's like, no, I've lived with her she is Sister Mary Clarence of our convent. You know, she is a good and kind and generous woman, and she is absolutely a nun. And it distracts all of them long enough for the detective to be able to bust in and shoot Vince in the arm before he can shoot Dolores. I love that not even Vince could do it. Like, he has the gun right up to her, to Dolores's head, and he can't pull the trigger. Because she's in the habit. So she tells his goons to do it. And they can't do it. Because she's in the habit. But yeah, the detective busts in. Arrests Vinny. Dolores. uh, We never see the trial. But we can assume Dolores testifies. We get uh, the moment of. uh, The moment of redemption for Reverend Mother again. Talking up. Dolores says she is. You know, she is a kind and just person. And. Kind of gives her the rundown, you know, you, you you introduced, you know, you got us all into trouble. You did all this, you know, because of you, where all of this trouble happened, and and we thank you for it. The uh, the good trouble, as they call it, I guess. Yeah. Well, the thing is, though, is that we we do get redemption for everybody at the end. You know, it's the the traditional happy ending. We do see in in our final scene that they've been able to raise enough money to repair the church. Reverend Mother has decided to stay we in charge of the, yeah. the convent. She, she decides, hey, if, 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 if Dolores is leaving, she's going to have to stay because, you know, they, they both can't leave. Yeah. Who's going to take care of these Who's going to take care of these ladies? Yeah. Dolores goes back to lead the the choir uh in her at least a, a partial bit of habit <laughs> she's, she's got, not wearing the headgear she has yeah, the big hoop earrings yeah she is I, I i assume at this point she is you know going by her 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 name dolores yeah. at this point. she is at least the the choir director they're able to perform for the pope and a packed audience we see during the the credits, according to some newspaper articles and everything, that Dolores becomes their um, 
she gets famous. Yeah, their their coach and their choir director, and she takes them on tour. Um, she gets a record deal. She yeah. she yeah she she gets a record deal. She gets she gets famous, and uh, as we see in the sequel, she turns this around into a Vegas act. Yeah, we know from from that. You know, there's the joke earlier in the the movie. You know, where the detective comes to see her after she ends up on TV accidentally, where he says, "You're supposed to be in hiding, not uh, kickstarting your career." And she says, "Oh, this be a horrible place to start a career." And all, but it ends up that no, this was actually a really good uh, place to start a career because she does get her, you know, headlining in Vegas after this, you know, Um, and she turns it into like a, you know, a full dinner theater show. And, you know, as we are recording this. Sister Act 3 is still technically supposed to happen. It is. It was announced back in uh, late 2018 that it was going to be a Disney Plus original movie. We have not heard anything about it since. But it's only in the last few weeks that we really heard anything about Hocus Pocus 2. So who knows? Not sure if this still movie is still even happening. But it... it, it it hasn't officially been canceled yet. Yeah, I mean, we we haven't heard anything about it since 2020. So who knows? Let's uh let's ask the question, Kiki, does Sister Act have the magic or is it have the faith? <laughs> uh I would I would say that there's still magic here. Uh, it, watching it back as an adult, I was a little shocked at how slow a start it has. Yeah, it's kind of like we talked about with Rocketeer last last week. Of like, you remember it for one thing, and it is shocking how late in the film that one thing appears. Yeah, but unlike the Rocketeer last week, this film holds up a lot better it's it's a lot more well structured and you you enjoy the ride a little bit more and i think that that's mostly just whoopi goldberg is a good comedic actress and there are more good comedic points i would agree i definitely think this has the magic uh you're right really the part that everyone knows just skip to the hour mark of the movie and then go from there but, you know, like, Whoopi Goldberg, definitely a great comedic actress in here. Maggie Smith has some of her moments. Kathy the Jimmy, absolutely. Mary Wicks, absolutely. So there's a lot of talent in this movie that can carry the the, the comedic chops, as it were. Except that, that first hour slogs. That first hour is a slog. But once it gets past that point, it's really good. It still holds up. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely has the magic. So let's move on to next week. It's Shark Week! We are taking a look at Finding Nemo back into the Pixar well. Yeah, what if fish had feelings? What if fish had feelings? Fish are friends, not food. They can be both. 
So come back next week for Finding Nemo, and we will talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. If you want to help the fight for human rights in the U.S., the American Civil Liberties Union works to protect constitutional rights for all Americans. Their website is aclu.org. If you need reproductive services in the U.S. or wish to donate to those who do, go to abortionfunds.org for more info. The battle isn't over until the last person surrenders. The fight continues. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course, new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it.